Hey, welcome everybody. Great to see you today. If you're a guest or a visitor, we welcome you. As you're getting seated there, go ahead and pull out your Bible and your bulletin. We'll get ready to be in the Word together. On Friday afternoon, as I was leaving the building, headed home for the day, I walked past the sanctuary and I looked in here and this room had been transformed into a formal dance hall. And it was the annual father-daughter dance in our church. This event is amazing. I got some pictures here for you. This thing is, um, we've taken it to a whole new level here. There are a hundred girls here on a date with their daddy to dance. Yeah, so cool. Uh, they had an amazing time. It's super precious. And I got to tell you that the dads are starting to take this thing to a whole new level in our church. Uh, they, uh, I mean, this thing is amazing. Like the, uh, the dads get more dressed up for this event than they do for church. First of all, let's just put that out there. You guys come in here with t-shirts and flip-flops, but they're rocking. There was a guy rocking a three-piece suit with a bow tie and stuff. About 13 couples, so we call them couples at the daddy-daughter dance, rented out a room at the Olive Garden where they had dinner together. And one group of girls showed up in a stretch limo. This happened, a pink limo, yes. Uh, and they danced the night away. It's amazing. And I got, I got to thinking about it, and I thought, these girls are going to go on their first date in high school and go, that was a total letdown. <laughs> and the dads will be like, that was precisely the point, right? <laughs> so great. Good. Hey, pull out your Bible. I hope you're ready to be in the Word today. Hope you're ready to hear from the heart of Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers are coming, and uh, we'd love for you to have the written Word in your hands, printed page. It's Serve Sunday, and I have a message today from the heart of Jesus and the purpose of that message is to stir you towards greater tenderness for people who are in need. Serve Sunday is the Sunday in our church where we spotlight all of our ministries that, that are about bringing care and compassion to people in our community. We have an amazing amount of ministries. I'll be talking about some of those this morning. And my goal today is to stir you and to prepare you to go out there so that you can learn about all these amazing ministries. But it's not going to be my message. It's not going to be my teaching. It's not going to be my ideas. It's going to be the message of Jesus. It's going to be the ideas of Jesus. It's going to be the heart of Jesus. From Matthew 20, 25, where Jesus actually devotes an entire teaching entirely to the theme of hospitality. So if you were here last week, you were here, and I, you know that I introduced us to this theme of hospitality, and what we learned last week is that the biblical word hospitality means to, you remember this, it means to treat a stranger as if they were your friend. And many of you were surprised by that definition. I heard from a lot of you that was not what you thought it was going to be. And part of that is because we're living in a culture where we've turned hospitality into something we do with friends and family. And that's all wonderful to entertain people you know and love. But in the Bible, see, hospitality, the target of hospitality, the goal of hospitality is that strangers would be treated by people in the church of Jesus as if they were friends. And family, and it's powerful. And the root word, the word actually means affection for strangers. 
And so what we talked about last week, what we learned together is that this actually hospitality is not just some appendage to Christian teaching. It's at the very center of the Christian faith. It's at the very center of the gospel. It, it comes from the heart of God. God treated us who were strangers as, as, as if we were his friends, and he did it in and through Jesus Christ and his loving sacrifice. Amazing. And here's what we're going to do this morning. This morning, I'm going to push you one layer deeper. So you can't do hospitality in one week. It's taking two weeks. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to press one level deeper. And I want to ask the question, what has to happen in the heart of a church family in order for them to become people of hospitality? What is it that sets people groups apart? Why are some groups of people extremely hospitable in the Christian world? And why is it that some are not quite as hospitable? Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46 is a passage about a community of people who have been so impacted by the grace of God that they cannot help but to reach out to others with compassionate hospitality. Will you read it with me? Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Just keep your finger there and let me tell you what's happening. This is a description of the final judgment the future event that's coming when Jesus, the son of the living God, God's Messiah King, will return. He'll sit on a throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and each one will give an account for their life. And Matthew borrows from the world of shepherding this imagery of a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. And all of the audience understood this metaphor because they were, they were shepherding people. And they understood that during the day, the goats and the sheep would, 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 would flock together, okay? But at night, the goats, because they had less fur, would be, they were more susceptible to the cold. So the shepherd would come and he would separate out and the goats would go one place to sleep and the sheep would go to another. And all of the ancient Palestinians knew that in this little picture, the place you want to be is you want to be on the right. That's the place of honor. That's the place of blessing. You want to be with the sheep. So Jesus goes on, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. It's hospitality, to treat strangers as, as if they're a friend. You know, in the ancient world, they didn't have hotels and motels. If someone ended up in a strange community and they didn't speak the language and they rolled into town, if no one took them in, they would have to sleep outside. And the early Christians started to practice hospitality where they would bring strangers in and welcome them. And Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Prisons were horribly grim. 
in this time. No one, you, no one went to a prison unless you were a prisoner or a guard, except for the early Christians who began to go and visit prisoners. Amazing. Jesus says, I was a prisoner and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are places in the Bible where, as you read them, you start to get a sense that you've stepped onto hollowed ground. Like, this is not to be taken lightly. This is the heart of Jesus. And I want to tell you what this passage means. And then I'm going to untangle a couple of knots. Okay? Here's what the passage means. The evidence that a people have been transformed by the grace of God is that they cannot help but show compassionate hospitality towards the least of these. It's like they can't help it. They've been so flooded by God's blessing and grace that they cannot help but turn and show compassion and care towards those who are in need. It's amazing. And you see this all the time. So many of the most amazing, powerful ministries of care in our world were launched by people who had been overwhelmed by God's blessing. I look at our serve book, which you got, and I, and I start to peruse the ministries, and it's overwhelming, the number of ministries that our church is partnering with. And, and when, you, when you go out there today, one of the things you'll discover is that every single one of the six ministries that Jesus describes here, hunger and thirst and nakedness and stranger and being sick or being in prison, all of those ministries are represented in this booklet. And you ask the question, why? Is it because our church is so woke to what's happening in our world or so in tune with social justice? No, it's because we, by God's grace, have been overwhelmed by the blessing of God through the work of the Spirit. He's poured out his blessing on our church and in his grace, we've been allowed to be a part of all these ministries together. Amen? Amen? How good. But here's the thing. This passage can be used to communicate a different message. 
And actually, there are three ways, there are three errors that people make when they're reading this passage. And I want to talk about each of these three. I have to address them before we can move in and, and unpack it. We need to learn how to read the Bible well as a church, okay? And so, but there are three errors that people make, and these errors become critical. Here's error number one. They isolate this text from other places in the New Testament that clearly teach that salvation is by faith alone. That's the overwhelming teaching of the New Testament. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and good works become an evidence prepared in advance for us to do them. But you could see how if you isolated this verse, pulled it out of the rest of Scripture, you could use it to teach that salvation is merited based on your works of compassion, which would be dangerous, unbiblical, heretical. And right in the book of Matthew, Matthew is totally intent on showing that Jesus came to die for human sin, to rise again on the third day, to save sinners. We're saved by grace. That's mistake number one. Here's, here's error number two. People tend to overly individualize this teaching, making it all about me and my individual hospitality and compassion, rather than reading it the way it was clearly intended to be read, which is as a community. Because Jesus is talking to a people. And you could see how dangerous it would be to lay at the foot of an individual the burden of taking care of the needs of every single person on the planet, regardless of where they're at in their life, their means. But, but when a church family reads a passage like this and we stand before God and ask the question, God, how are we doing in response to your grace? How are we doing using the individual members collectively, using their gifts and their talents and their means to go out and represent you because you've blessed us to love and serve the poor? Super important. Here's error number three, and it's sort of coming from the other direction. Error number three is that we interpret this as a parable and thereby strip it of its punch. So I've heard this described as the parable of the sheep and the goats, and what people will say is Jesus is being metaphorical. He's not talking about a real judgment. He's speaking parabolically. Jesus is not talking about a real literal separation of sheep from goats. He's being metaphorical, but here's the problem. This passage is not a parable. This is going to happen someday. We're on, we're on holy ground. Jesus is going to come, and he has been uniquely qualified to judge the living and the dead. And he's righteous and holy and good and pure, and he's the king and he'll stand, he'll sit on a throne, and the nations will gather before him. And you know what? It's intense. And it was meant to be intense. It was meant to be intense. But here's what I want to suggest today. Did you know that the most shocking thing about this passage is not that there's going to be a judgment? And the most shocking thing about this passage is not that Jesus is going to separate people the most shocking truth about this passage is that hospitality towards others and love for Jesus are depicted as if they are one and the same. Did you notice that? That's shocking. What's shocking in this passage is that Jesus essentially says, 
the way that you show hospitality towards strangers is really sort of equated to the way that you love me. And that's shocking. So you read the parable and he says to the sheep on his right, he says, welcome you who are blessed. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared beforehand for you because when I was hungry, you fed me and when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink and when I was a stranger, you welcomed me when I was in prison, you visited me. And they say, Lord, when did we see you in prison? When were you, when were you naked? When were you hungry? And Jesus says, truly I say to you, which was way, the way the rabbis, it was a, their formula for saying, pay attention because what I'm going to say next is really important. <laughs> truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, so you did it to me. Wow. That is astounding. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I self-identify with the least of these. I self-identify with the poor. I self-identify with the outcast. I self-identify with the marginalized, the stereotyped, the stigmatized, the people who can't provide for themselves. I self-identify with them and I stand in solidarity with them. You ever noticed in the Gospels that Jesus was always getting in trouble for who he had lunch with? Isn't that interesting? He was always getting in trouble for that. And the Pharisees were always following him around to see what he would do next. It was really creepy. They were like stalkers. And they would follow Jesus around. Who's he going to have lunch with today? Hmm. Oh, tax collectors. Naughty, naughty. Hmm. Sinners, right? Did you know that Matthew wrote this gospel because Jesus had lunch with him? He was a tax collector. He was like the most stigmatized, disreputable person in the ancient world. And Jesus had lunch with him and all of his buddies. And don't think a group of guys with sweater vests and pencil pouches, you know what I mean? This is like the riffraff. This is like the moonshine is out. Check the weapons at the door. They're tatted out. It's all that. And Jesus is in there, and the Pharisees are looking through the window, and they turn to his disciples in Matthew 9, and they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, it's not the sick who need a doctor. That's not right. He didn't say it that way. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. And Jesus said, you see all these people? I'm with them. I'm with them. And you know what he said in Matthew 25? He said, you may not have even known it, but when you brought a cup of cold water to someone who was dying of thirst, I was there. And when you put a pair of shoes on a child who had no shoes, I was there. And when you welcome someone who didn't speak your language and they were totally vulnerable, I was there. I was in their heart. I was in their face. You were loving me. I stand with them. You know, this teaching has captured the imagination of Christian poets and artists for hundreds of years. Makes sense. 
So when I was back in Eugene, Kathy and I were in Eugene doing ministry, I remember a song coming out by a Christian recording artist named Chris Rice. He wrote a song called The Face of Christ. And I want to, le- I want to read part of the lyric to you. He, it goes like this. He shares a room outside with a dozen other guys. And the only roof he knows is that sometimes starry sky. A tattered sleeping bag on a concrete slab is his bed. And it's too cold to talk tonight. So I just sit with him instead and think, how did I find myself in a better place? I can't look down on the frown on the other guy's face. Because when I stoop down low and look him square in the eye, I get a funny feeling that I might be dealing with the face of Christ. Amazing. Well, not to let the Christian music industry have all the fun, the modern-day poet philosopher Kendrick Lamar got in on the act as well, and a hip-hop artist. He wrote a song called How Much a Dollar Cost. I don't recommend you listen to it, but I'm going to read a part of it. People are like, is he about to quote Kendrick Lamar? Yes, I am. This song is about an encounter where Kendrick Lamar left a gas station, super wealthy, one of the most famous hip-hop artists, and he walked past a beggar who asked him for a dollar, and he said, no way, I know exactly what you're going to do with it. You're going to use it for your drug habit. Gets in his car, and he freezes, and he cannot drive away, and he keeps looking over at the guy who's just staring him in the face. And here's how the song ends. The homeless, he gets back out of the car and he has a conversation. And the, and the guy says to him, he looked at me and said, your potential is bittersweet. I looked at him and said, every nickel is mine to keep. He looked at me and said, know the truth, it'll set you free. You're looking at the Messiah, the son of Jehovah, the higher power. The choir that spoke the word, the Holy Spirit, the nerve of Nazareth, and I'll tell you just how much a dollar cost. The price of having a spot in heaven. Embrace your loss. I am God. Now, that's bad theology, okay? But it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. Whoa. And let me finish with Martin Luther, because I cannot leave it with Kendrick Lamar. So we'll go to a reformer. We'll go to a reformer. Martin Luther wrote a poem. I have it here. Oh, dear Lord God, how are we so blind that we don't take such love to heart? Who could have thought it up that God himself throws himself so deep down into our midst and accepts the works of all those who give themselves to the poor as though they were done to him? Thus, the world is full, full of God. In every alley before your door, you find Christ. I love that. You know, that since the very beginning of the church, since day one, the Christians knew, if we want to have an impact in the world, we cannot go up and function in the upper echelon of society. If we want to impact the world, we have to go down because that's where Jesus is. And the Christians, the Christians were the ones out on the streets ministering to the poor and the needy. And the world around them thought they were so odd because the Greco-Roman world, they viewed their sick and their, and their downcast and their homeless, they viewed them as, as awful, despicable 
When the plague hit in Carthage, the pagan families, if anyone gets sick, they would take their sick relative and literally throw them out into the street to die. And it was the Christians led by their bishop who went out into the streets of Carthage, took these bodies and took them in and cared for them and visited them. And do you know that the hospital, the modern day hospital is a inherently Christian idea. It was started by Christians. Hospitality. St. Basil, 369, in response to the plague, he, built a, uh, he, he took a building with his own funds and the ministry of his church, 300 beds, and they took in the sick and the stranger and the outcast, and they cared for them. And the outside world thought, those people are so odd. They care for the sick. And it continues up to this day, right here in our city, some of the most powerful initiatives to care for the poor and the needy have been launched by Christian people. It's still happening. You know, our foster care ministry that we're a part of, that whole thing was, was dreamed up by Christian people who saw the plight of a child in a foster care office, a DHS office. What was it like? People who were foster care parents or, or involved in the system, they saw that a, chi- a child would get ripped out of their home in the middle of the night as domestic violence is taking place taken in a sterile car by a government employee down to an office where they sit in a cubicle. Imagine it, a three, four, five-year-old girl or boy sitting while a government employee picks up a phone and calls down the list of families saying, will you take this child? No, we can't. Will you take this child? No, we can't. Imagine what it would be like. And Christian said, we've got to do something. Jesus is there in her face. And it was the Christians in our community and our church became a part of it who dreamed up the idea of a welcome box. It's so simple. When you're shopping, you add a couple of things to your list and you bring them to the church and it becomes a box that a child is given when they find themselves, God forbid, in a DHS office. There's a box packed by Christians with a note, a handwritten note that says, you matter to God. And there's a flashlight in there for their first night in a strange place and a change of socks and a toy. On Friday, I bumped into a woman in our church named Allie Roth, who's just an amazing, amazing Christian woman. She started a ministry called With Love. And if you ever know, if you've ever been around Allie, it's like, she's, you're either going to get on her agenda or she'll mow you over. She's like, this is happening. We are loving these kids. They're amazing. She started With Love. She has a warehouse filled with clothing and supplies for foster kids and their parents. She's motivated by our understanding of the gospel, our refugee care in this community, the whole refugee initiative is being led by Christian people to welcome strangers. Amazing. People in our church, two women in our church started going to Coffee Creek Prison and visiting prisoners, some of the most stigmatized people in our world, visiting them, leading Bible studies. And they said, we have to do something about this. Jesus is there. And they built relationships. And now our church is what they call a bridge church where when a person is finally let out of prison, you know how difficult it is for them to reintegrate into society. They don't know anyone. They've been stigmatized. But to have relationships with other Christian people who love them and know them and to know there's a community where they could come and be welcomed. Beautiful. Go learn about prison fellowship. Okay, but it leads us to 
an extremely important truth about hospitality that's in this passage. It's hiding in plain sight, and my guess is you did not see it. It's a repeated word, and it's a word that if we don't understand what it means, we'll never understand hospitality. And it's the word see. Did you see that in there? Both groups, the sheep and the goats, are both surprised to discover that Jesus was there. And when they come to Jesus, did you notice what they say? They say, Lord, wait a minute. When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked or in prison or sick? And you begin to realize this whole thing hinges on seeing. And it gets us to the, this is so important. Will you think about this with me for just a minute? At the very root of hospitality is whether or not we see a person. Do we see them? It's so simple, but it's so profound. Do we see that person that the rest of the world has ignored? Amazing. Jesus says, when you look, when you look at a person, do you see that person, that person that our our culture has overlooked, that person who's broken and needy and stigmatized, but I don't care what the world is doing. I want to know, are my people, are my children looking into their eyes? Amazing. This is sort of a lighthearted illustration, but have you ever been in a setting, a situation where you're, you feel like you're totally invisible? Like a social setting, you show up to like a party and maybe you don't know very many people and, and it's like you're in the room but no one even like acknowledges that you're there. You guys are also popular so you've never experienced this. But So my wife and I went to her 25th high school reunion, which these are horrible. I don't know why we do these anymore. High school reunions, this is a horrible idea. Horrible idea. And so my wife went to Lincoln High School, okay, which is, I don't know if you know much about Lincoln. It's up here in downtown Portland, and it predominantly serves the West Hills, okay? And what you got to know about Lincoln is Lincoln is extremely affluent. It's old money, old power. Most of the kids are West Side, but then there are some East Side kids, and there's very clear dividing lines, right? It's human nature. And my wife was an East Side kid. So she was raised on the east side. She was raised in poverty, but her mom got her into Lincoln. Okay, so she went to Lincoln. And what happened was we showed up to this reunion and none of her east side friends ended up coming to this reunion, right? And it was so awkward. It was so awkward. I felt invisible. And usually I'm sort of like relational. I can make these situations work and, you know, with the power of my skills and stuff, I can take the thing and make it less awkward, but I failed utterly. And for like literally, it felt like an eternity. Kathy and I sat at this table alone and all the West Side kids were over there hanging out and talking and stuff. And then finally we're sitting there and this one couple, they look really nice. They come walking up to the table and I was like, Kathy, someone's gonna sit with us. This is awesome. And they walked up to the table and they're like, are you using those chairs? Because we want to sit with the West Side kids. <laughs> right? How horrible to not be seen. Can I ask you a question? Do you see people? Do you see people in our 
You know, the, the, the person actually might be right under your nose, right in your purview. Are you looking? Sometimes we look past people because we're so busy and, and, and that's not bad and we have so much going on and that's not bad and we're so consumed with our own affairs that we drive right past that person. And sometimes we don't see people because when we're actually looking at them, all we see is the, is the fact that they're needy. And all we see is the stigma or the stereotype or the culpability or the nuisance. And Jesus says, no, I want my, I want my children to see people who have needs. How about you? Can I tell you something? One of the... Uh, one of the pieces of feedback that I get the most about our church, people come and they're like, I cannot believe how many outreach ministries you guys have. In fact, you have so many that it's overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin some of the time. Like, how do I even get started? Let me tell you something about that. So this is about the, philo- the philosophy of our church is uh, we never, the church leadership, the, the elders, pastor staff, we never start ministries, never. We never start a ministry and then come to the church and say, okay, you group of people, make this happen. How it works in our church is someone, one of you, comes to us and says, I've been seeing this, this person. I've been seeing this need, and we have to do something about this. And then you just badger us until we finally let you start a ministry. <laughs> and that's how it happens. And now there's, there's, there's dozens of them. And every single one of them is because one of you saw someone. Amazing. So how about you? Who's there in front of you? What's God stirring in you? Today, maybe today is really just about you getting acquainted with what's happening. So today you could go out there and you could say, I don't even know where to begin. So you would take the book or you could walk in there and just look over a few things and say, Oh, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in um, the elderly poor. I, or I'm really good at cooking. There's a ministry that cooks food, and then they take it downtown, and, and they minister to homeless people. Or maybe you think, um, you know, I, I really do care about foster children. I'd love to help Allie. Um, I could go shopping and, and provide things for With Love or one of the other ministries. So many things you could do. Look through the list, walk back there, talk to a leader, one or two things get your bearings. You don't have to commit to anything today, but hopefully God's stirring you, and hopefully Jesus is saying, I'm there in the face, in the heart of the broken one, and I want you to see me there. I'm going to close with one story about my wife. I love her, and I hope it's a story that will help you uh, get ready to take the Lord's Supper today. My wife, Kathy, um, was raised without a father. Her dad took his own life when she was a baby. And so she was raised in a poor home. Her mom came, her, her family's from Korea. And her mom, so she grew up without a father, and her mom tried her, her hand at a couple of different businesses. At one point, she owned a 24-hour mini-mart on 82nd and Stark. And there was this 18-year-old college kid named Jeff Lees. He'd come from Colorado. He was studying Bible at Multnomah University. 18-year-old kid. I've told this story, but it's, it's really close to my heart. 
So he needed a job, so he came down to the mini-mart, and he started working for Kathy's mom, and he would notice when he would come to work that there was this, you know, seven-year-old girl behind the counter next to the Playboys and the cigarettes and stuff, you know, and here's what happened. He saw her. 18-year-old kid. And he would look, and he, would, and he, and he, he didn't see her as a nuisance or oh, a little girl. Oh. You know, no, he, he saw her as a child of God. He saw her as one created in the image of God. He saw her the way Jesus sees her. This is astounding to me. Never look down on young people. Young people can change the world. 18-year-old kid, he, he went to Kathy's mom and said, I'd love to take Kathy for ice cream. And they started a friendship. He shared the gospel with Kathy. He prayed with her to receive Christ. When he graduated from college, he got married, and he and his wife, Debbie, took Kathy under their wing. And Debbie taught her how to be a woman after God's heart to follow Christ. Amazing. I think Jeff saw my wife as a father sees his daughter or his son. And when you go to the table and you take the bread and the cup and you're sitting there, has it ever occurred to you that what's happening in that moment is that God sees you as his child? He sees past the stigma. He sees past the brokenness. He sees past the need. And what he sees is his child who he loves. And I hope you'll celebrate that this morning as we eat and drink. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for welcoming us. We were strangers, and you treated us as though we were your friends. Through the loving sacrifice of your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, you took our place on a sinner's cross, bearing wrath for sin and the shame of brokenness. And we have been welcomed. And you call us sons and daughters. And you call us to respond in kind, to become the kind of church that grows in hospitality, to see people who are needing, to love them and care for them and welcome them serve them, Lord. We want to do it well. We want to do it with humble hearts. We want to do it not to earn anything, but to express our gratitude, the overflow of our hearts for all you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for anyone who's come in today who has doubted whether you love them or not. I just really sense that there are many sitting there this morning thinking, God does not love me. Father, would you remind them of why Jesus came? The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate love story. In your grace, God, would you speak to any who's doubting your love today and remind them of the love of Christ for them. They could begin a relationship today with you, a simple prayer of faith. Thank you for that, Lord. Would you bless us now as we worship, Lord, we pray. And as we go to your table, we ask it in Jesus' name.
all God's people said. Amen.